centering the interpreter bubble. One moment, please. Okay, we are ready to begin. Go ahead, Coach Madrid. Welcome, everybody. My name is Alex Padrid. I'm one of the coaches. Welcome to the Mayors on Disability Council. Today is Friday, March 17, 2023. And can you please um, do our call? Sure. So for roll call, uh, we have Alex Madrid. Hey. Uh, Orchid Sasuni. That's it. Uh, Sherry Albers. Present. Denise Senhawks. Present. Helen Smolensky is absent. Jashawn Lewis Woods is absent. And then we have Ananya Tandon Verma. who I believe is also absent. Is Ananya um, participating remotely today? No? Okay. Go ahead. Thanks, Tess. You're next, Alex. Um, reading and Reading an approval of the agenda. All right, so item number one, we have welcome and roll call. Item number two is the reading and approval of the agenda. Item number three uh, is a discussion item about remote access to public meetings post-emergency order being presented by Sophie Hayward from the, who is the Legislative and Public Affairs Director from the Office of the City Administrator. And then we will take a 15 minute break. And then item number four, we have general public comment. Item number five, we have the co-chair's report. Item number six is a report from the Mayor's Office on Disability. Item number seven uh, is a presentation about safe and accessible passage on San Francisco sidewalks being presented by Lauren Bell, Sam Dodge, and Robert Smuts from the Department of Demer Emergency Services, Department of Emergency Management, excuse me. Uh, item number eight, uh, we have correspondence. Uh, and item number nine, we have general public comment. Item number 10, council member comments and announcements. And then item number 11 is adjournment. Thank you. And we go on to item number three, which is discussion item, remote access to public meeting post uh, uh, um, emergency order. It's the, it's Sophie Howard, ready? Okay, we are on hold for a couple minutes. Hi, everyone. I'm just going to say typically, we say when we're 
back in person, we give a welcome. We are currently located right now in City Hall, uh, room 400. You're welcome to join the Mayor's Disability Council in person. This meeting is also hybrid uh, today. Yes, and what we're waiting at this morning, remind to the public that uh, there is a work of slip in the front, um, and you can always make a comment and please do not forget to put your name and contact information. And again, we are going to item number three, remote access, public meeting, post emergency order by Sophie Howard. I'm from Office of the City Administration. Wake up, Sophie. Thank you so much. <clears throat> I just want to make sure that people will be able to see my slides. They're, they're up here on the laptop, but I don't exactly know how to get them onto the screen. Perfect. Perfect. I am not as interesting as the slides, so you might prefer to see those. But thank you so much, Chair Madrid. My name is Sophie. Hang, hang on one second. Sure. Sophie, control room, can you please... Uh, are you able to uh, put the slides on the screen? There they are. Okay, go ahead, Sophie. Okay, thank you so much. My name is Sophie Hayward, and I am the Director of Legislation and Public Affairs at the Office of City Administrator Carmen Chu. Thank you so much for inviting me to, to join you today. I'm here to speak about the guidelines and the requirements related to public meetings now that the mayor's emergency order related to COVID has sunset. Um, and just to start, I wanted to give you a roadmap of what I will be presenting today, and you should be able to see all of these slides on the screen. And we can go to the next slide, please. Or actually, I can change them. Okay. Um, so first, I will just go over quickly um, background information, noting how we got here. Um, I will touch briefly on the laws um, that we have to follow when it comes to conducting public meetings. Um, I will touch on guidance issued by the mayor and the office of the city administrator, including both the minimum baseline requirements as well as what technology is required to support that baseline. I'll note that guidance that I'm talking about applies to all of you, that is commissioners and members of policy bodies. And there is also specific guidance we provided related to members of the public and how to participate in meetings remotely. Finally, I'll check in at this two week mark to let you know how it's gone so far. And then when I finished with that sort of large overview, I'll turn it over to Director Bond. Um, and she will run through more specific guidance provided to commissions, boards, and bodies by the Mayor's Office on Disability. So as promised, by way of background, um, in this slide, I wanna give you just a little context for the guidelines recently issued. Some of this information is, of course, uh, old news to, to you, but I want to level set a little bit to start. So first, 
uh, the mayor's emergency order related to COVID expired on March 1st. This means that the special rules that were enacted at the start of COVID to allow remote participation by everyone in public meetings were no longer in effect. The rules that govern our public meetings are made at the state, federal, and local level. Um, and then as March 1st approached, uh, the mayor and the city administrator realized that there was no single source of information about how to roll back the rules enacted during COVID. So the guidance here was provided essentially as a stopgap in hopes that we could have consistent practices across city bodies. There's a little bit of um, irony in my voice there. There are over 130 commissions and boards, as well as the Board of Supervisors, who conduct public meetings. So achieving consistency is sometimes challenging. Uh, the guidance that we issued is focused on two groups. First, members of commissions, boards, and policy bodies, much like all of you, and on members of the public who wish to make public comment before a commission or board. And again, I mentioned these, but I just wanted to make sure I had a slide that covered them. Um, what are the laws and rules that govern us? Um, there is the Federal Americans with Disabilities Act. There's the State Brown Act. There's the local San Francisco Sunshine Ordinance. The Board of Supervisors enacts rules of order. Um, and then there are uh, rules of order that can be enacted by policy, uh, policy bodies and commissioners. And then at the tail end, there's the guidance issued by the mayor and the office of the city administrator. So what's the baseline? Well, actually, I'll take a step back. For the next three slides, I'll go a little bit deeper into the uh, guidance that the mayor and the city administrator put out. And that starts, of course, with the baseline. So officially, as of March 1st, the baseline for public meetings is in person. Um, however, our guidance clarifies that all meetings should be established as hybrid so that in-person and remote participation can be supported. Hybrid meetings require certain technology and, of course, staffing, including computers, video screens. All of you in this room saw that in action uh, just before this meeting officially started. Um, and we can confirm that the technology to support hybrid meetings here in City Hall has been secured throughout all of the public meeting rooms. And then getting more to the nuts and bolts of the guidance. Um, I mentioned several times, I guess, that the guidance from our uh, office and the mayor's office is focused on two distinct groups, guidance for commissioners and how you participate, and guidance for the public. Uh, by default, commissioners and policy body members must participate in person, and this is pursuant to both the State Brown Act and the Sunshine Ordinance of San Francisco. There are certainly exceptions. Uh, commissioners and policy bodies may request to participate remotely pursuant to the Americans with Disabilities Act, and this is considered a reasonable accommodation. I should note, there are also very specific other uh, exceptions codified that allow remote participation by commissioners. And then public comment. As has always been the case and continues to be the case, and as Chair Madrid just noted, meetings must allow for public comment in person. 
anyone with a disability that prevents them from attending a public meeting in person may request to provide public comment remotely. This is also considered a reasonable accommodation. And further, although not required by law, the guidance put out by the mayor and the Office of the City Administrator recommends that anyone, regardless of whether or not they can attend in person, be allowed to participate remotely and to make public comment. In acknowledgement of the fact that commissioners and board members are volunteering their time, our office recommends that the total amount of remote public comment be time limited unless there is a request for uh, accommodation. The time limit is not defined, but it should be equally applied across the agenda. Okay, so that was a little bit of a deeper dive into the guidance issued by the mayor and the city administrator. Um, and then I wanted to make sure that we checked in. Now that it's March 16th, we're just over two weeks in to this new world order of hybrid public meetings. How's it going? The Board of Supervisors has passed an interim rule that allows remote public comment by any member of the public. And in the Board of Supervisors rules of order, they did not include any time limit. This is an interim rule. They need to pass a more permanent rule by April 15th. Um, the reality is, is that while our guidance is out, out there for the rest of the 130 boards and commissions, it's just that, it's guidance, it's not binding. And by and large, commissions and boards are forging their own way uh, and making their own rules. Uh, there are, I also want to note, several state and local legislative proposals that would expand remote participation options for uh, commissioners and board members. I noted that those exceptions are fairly limited, and those may be expanded through legislation. So that's my, my overview of the guidance that was put out. I'm going to turn it over to Director Bond now, and I'm available for questions after the presentation. I got it. I just need to make sure that microphone's on and I'm close enough here. One second. Okay. Hi, everybody. This is Nicole Monaghan, the director of the Mayor's Office on Disability from the other side of the uh, podium today to talk a little bit more about what the Mayor's Office on Disability has been working on related to uh, these hybrid meetings. And so we have generally issued accessibility guidance to all of the councils, commissions, public bodies that talk about how to maintain by best practice the accessibility of these meetings in a hybrid format. Some of the things that I wanted to highlight today include um, some of the things that we have made sure to cover specific to communication access for people who are deaf and hard of hearing, understanding that the hybrid format is always a work in progress, and so these are our best practices as of right now, and we anticipate that they will continue to evolve as we receive more feedback about how hybrid meetings are going. This meeting uh, in itself it will be helpful for us in uh, advancing and improving our recommendations and, and guidance. So I'm glad for that. 
So we've gone over um, what we consider some of the basics, which is helping our colleagues understand that captioning is not a substitute for sign language and doesn't offer two-way communication like sign language does. And that when it is requested, we should be giving sign language as the communication preference whenever possible. There always needs to be a way for, particip for participants to request sign language interpretation. This is one of the areas where as we've been working with the public body board secretaries and representatives, we've really made some good progress, I think, in helping our colleagues understand uh, some of the basics of what sign language and effective communication is all, all about. In addition, we make sure that they understand that sign language interpretation is also available in other language, like Spanish and Chinese, and that uh, SFGovTV provides real-time uh, captions of these meetings on the TV broadcasts, as we see before us in the room uh, now. And again, uh, we should be also always providing it by request, but when we know in advance that sign language users plan to attend, it is always better to have that uh, sign language interpretation service accounted for and prepared for. And so I'm going to wait for one moment as we switch interpreters in the room. Okay, sign language interpreters are going are can be present in the meeting room and will be visible on the screen uh, when the meeting is broadcast. Sign language interpreters are also can be added via the remote video platform. For instance, today, one of our uh, sign language interpreters is uh, working on the remote platform, and we have two interpreters in the room. And the remote platform is visible to deaf participants who can join the video platform or be present in the room as long as there's a camera in the room. And, uh, and then we can, uh, there will be voicing available for deaf participants who wish to make a public comment in that way. Uh, and then also we've reminded folks that deaf constituents that might not have access to a device that dis displays video, they can request phone access using the California Relay. And then in these cases, as the deaf community knows, the commenter will first identify themselves as a relay operator speaking on behalf of the requester. So these are just some of the basics that we've been able to go over with the uh, board secretaries and, um, and uh, the folks that are helping to run the public body meetings related to communication access. We've also reminded them of other things around maintaining wheelchair access, awareness of assisted listening devices, and any other accommodation requests that can be um, would be made uh, can that can be made available in advance of the meeting. One of the things that we've also done is publish this guidance on our website. I have this as part of my director's report. I'll talk a little bit more about this later, so folks that are watching will know that you can request uh, or see this guidance that we provided. Sorry, 
available on our website uh, at sf.gov slash MOD under the news section. And you can see the, the full array of guidance that we've provided to date. And that concludes my portion of this for right now, but uh, Sophie and I are available to help to answer any of the council uh, questions. Thanks. Thank you for that, and thank you for the presentation. And right now, I'm going with um, council members' question, and then um, the staff, and then public comment. As of now, I have Thank you, Co-Chair Madrid. Hang on, test, turn on microphone. Yeah, I'm testing. Oh, there okay, now everybody can hear me. <laughs> um, Sophie, thank you very much for your uh, presentation. I appreciate you going over the guidelines and talking about, um, and also MOD talking about public accommodations and how, you, how your office <laughs> and MOD is working together because the most important thing is full inclusion and participation. So I appreciate that um, for the hybrid meetings around also technology for the spirit of inclusion. So the question I have going through the process of a reasonable accommodation, what is the time frame and response in getting back to someone when they put in a request? Sorry, uh, this is Sophie Hayward from the Office of the City Administrator. I believe that the guidance calls for a request for reasonable accommodation to be made. Okay, I'm going to defer to Nicole because she'll get it right. I was just going to say, Nicole, do you want to take it? <laughs> so Thank you, a, Nicole. No problem. So Sophie can answer the questions about the City Administrator's guidance. I'm happy to answer any accommodation-related questions. So just to be clear, as of right now, um, what we've said is <clears throat> th that um, the public, we've made a recommendation that the, all public bodies have a hybrid option and that there's a couple of ways that you can, uh, you can make the meeting accessible. One way is to do what we've done for this meeting, which is to publish the link as part of the agenda. If they don't publish the link, choose not to publish the link as part of the agenda, then we've asked that the uh, public body members who want to make remote public comment uh, request no later than one hour before the meeting in order to do this. If you need sign language interpreting remotely, we need for remote public comment a minimum of four hours, and we use the um, language line services that we have available to us in the city. If you need an in-person interpreter or any other accommodation not related to remote public comment, then we ask that the folks uh, inform the public body secretary at least 48 business hours in advance. Thank you, Nicole. The next is um, Sherry and then, and then uh, awkward. Thank you, Alex. Oh, there we go. Okay. 
Thank you, Sophie, for your presentation. And Nicole, um, I just want to make a comment. Um, being a council member um, and a disability, um, which is blindness, um, sitting here at the um, podium table, um, and I'm using a screen as my interface to the meeting. Um, we have already worked out an accommodation for today, but um, there are um, commands on this screen for me to, or anyone here on the council, to mute, unmute, um, raise hand, lower hand. I don't even know what it is. Um, but I don't have access to these commands because it is inaccessible to me as a blind person. So. I don't know, um, I, I feel like this city did not put thought into um, this as um, accessibility for blind people. So I, I am happy that we worked out an accommodation for me today, but I feel like the system here is not accessible for, um, for all. Thank you. Oh, good. Sorry, the microphone, microphone, mic check. Oh, oh, you can see me signing. Oh, okay, great. Okay, so this is Orchid here. Uh, I want to say thank you to both of you for your presentation. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about ASL too and recommend um, if it's a person that has a disability, let's say, uh, that they'd be placed at the front of the line as opposed to being at the very back because they might miss out. Uh, and a lot of the times, um, the first few people who are asked um, should be, you know, those ones that have that special need. So I hope that that makes sense for you. The There's some, some tech issues going on here. Yeah. Hello. Oh, yes. Okay. Okay. Oh, sorry. Ryan can see me. Okay, okay. The interpreter Ryan can see me. Okay. So uh, I just wanted to say thank you very much to begin with for your presentation. And my point has to do with um, the ADA, uh, in particular regarding meetings. And the proposal is that they ask, like for example, if it's a deaf person, let's say, who's approaching, you know, and we have a long line of people, and um, you know, the interpreters have uh, requirements in, in regards to their charges. So, um, if what we could do is, I, I feel, uh, what we could add to the policy, I'm hoping this makes sense, is that the people who are deaf or have disabilities go to the front of the line. Or any person who's, who has a disability, uh, let's say they can't sit for a long period of time, they can't sit all day, 
that they have some options. May I, I'm gonna to respond to that if that's okay. Okay, thank you. Thank you, and thank you, Sherry, for your comments as well. I wanted to acknowledge that. And I have suggestions for um, some follow-up if you, if, you, uh, if you choose to as a council. So, Orchid, towards your point, we have recommended as part of our guidance that um, people with disabilities are allowed to go first. Of course, uh, we don't always know uh, at what point the public comment or the remote comment would be taken. So um, that is something to consider, but we, we have recommended that and we really welcome and encourage any feedback. If you want to look at the full guidance that we've published online and have feedback, let us know what that is so we can make it clearer um, for everyone. And then to the point of general uh, room accessibility, I think that is something that um, the council can take on as a uh, recommendation in terms of improvements. Um, we do have policies in place towards accessible procurement. If there's been an oversight though, one of the things that this council can do as part of their charge is respond to that and then work towards correction. So I would just encourage the council to, uh, to uh, think about that, if that's something that you wanna work on uh, as part of your uh, work together. Thank you, Ogrid. Um, I have, before I go to, to the staff, I have a question to both principals. Can you come for coming something to call um, my question is, um, can you, this, this public, having public meeting is a little bit confusing on all of us that it says that from the state point of view that only people would quote-unquote accommodations only allowed to stay on Zoom and can be participate during public meetings on Zoom and we're in the San Francisco city. Can you um, Educate us on how that um, applies to 100 plus um, commissioners and and, um, and public body policy body. Sorry. Sure. And again, this is Sophie Hayward from the city administrator's office. I. I think one thing to remember is that the, the guidance addresses two different stakeholders. One are the people participating in the meeting as commissioners or as policy body members. And opportunities to, to join the meeting remotely are more restrictive if you are a commissioner or a member of the, of the policy body. 
um, you need to either have a disability and request uh, accommodation or fit into these several other fairly limited categories that allow remote participation essentially from the dais via computer. There are more opportunities for remote participation for members of the public who are wishing to make public comment, and there are fewer restriction, legal restrictions at this point in time. So that is where I think some of the confusion comes. There are several legislative proposals pending at the state that would expand opportunities to participate remotely for commissioners or members of the, of the body. Uh, and there are some pending at the local level as well. Does that help differentiate the two a bit? And Nicole, do you, you yes. need to add that? Yes, well, so can you, yes, yes it does. And the second question or clarification is, has to do with physical accessibility when it comes to public participation, as my cousin members alluded, is that some of members or public members may need accommodation in during public meeting and Yes, I know that the call and of and his department is, has recommendation on that, but is the city looking at some kind of modification when it comes to implementing this policy going forward, I know that it's, it's only been two weeks in with this new mandate. We are very much looking at um, seeing how each one of these public meetings proceeds in, in real life, and then we will adjust the, the guidance um, after some period of time, a few months, to try to sort out what works, what hasn't worked. We're getting feedback from you, from other commissions, um, as well as from the Board of Supervisors. Thank you. Um, now, um, now I'm going to turn into to the staff if any questions from the staff at this time. Nope. Okay, um, I'm going to, so to, we're going to the public comment now. I'm going to ask the public comment in the room first, and then I'm going to ask if there is any public comment on Zoom. Are there any public comment? in the room at this time. One, one second. So we should read, we have a script, right, for what to read? So yes. So let's read the script. Thank you. Because this, this item, this public comment is, is only on this particular item. I think let's, let's follow our, our script and I don't uh, see we'll any go from there. script on. Tess has uh, it. Yep. Thank you. Go ahead, thank you. <clears throat> 
Yes, so uh, at this time, we welcome the public's participation to comment on this item specifically. Put the microphone closer, please. Um, there you go. On this item specifically. Um, and then there will be two other opportunities for general public comment during the meeting. Uh, each comment will be limited to three minutes, unless the co-chair determines that in the interest of time, comments will be limited to a shorter time when there's a large number of public comments. For each public comment period, people with disabilities who wish to make public comments and who are comfortable identifying themselves as a person with a disability are invited to comment first. After these comments conclude, other, others will be invited to comment. The period of time for comments by people who do not identify as having a disability will not exceed 15 additional minutes per comment period. Um, so if you're in person right now and would like to make a public comment, you can just come up to the podium uh, and I will allow you to speak. So it doesn't look like anybody in person would like to make any comments at this time. Sure, so we, okay. All right, if you'd like to make a public comment remotely, um, if you're joining the webinar using your tablet or smartphone WebEx app, click on the three horizontal dots icon and then click on the raise hand. The clerk will recognize you when it is your turn. You may also use the Q&A feature on the Zoom webinar to make a comment. It is located on the top part of the video after touching the screen. If you're using a desktop or a laptop computer, raise hand and the Q&A icons are located at the bottom of the video screen. If you'd like to join by phone, you can dial star three to indicate that you would like to make a comment and then the clerk will comment or the clerk will prompt you when it's your turn to make a comment. All right, so there's two people who would like to make remote public comments. The first commenter may begin. Control room, you may um, unmute the first caller, please. We're, we're gonna turn over public comment to the control room at this time. Excuse me, I don't mean to interrupt. Um, I know this is a new system, but there's no captioning. I understand there's captioning on the screens to be reviewed, but there's no captioning on our panel there, here. No, you have to- Just there, this. okay, I just wanted to make sure. Thank you, sorry for the interruption. Okay, control room, let's go ahead with public comment, please, thank you. And uh, uh, I'm challenged and I do participate in most of the meetings. Uh, we need to establish a point of contact, whether it be the city administrator, and uh, that point of contact should get feedback from the challenged individuals who would like to participate in the many meetings. And those suggestions should be sent to Sacramento, to the state. 
Right now, if you are a challenged person, it's very difficult for the individual to participate in many of the commission meetings. I'll repeat that again. Right now, it is very difficult for many of the challenged individuals to participate in the many commission meetings. It's even difficult to participate in room 250 where the Board of Supervisors meet when it comes to the challenged individuals who want to participate in our democracy. So, on your website, you should have the number of a point person where we can contact them with our suggestion to be sent to Sacramento. We already have guidance from the feds. We need uh, uh, good guidance from the state of California. And of course, we need to uplift the city and county of San Francisco that has not looked at this issue in a humane manner. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comment. Next. Caller. Hello, Commissioners. This is Jessica Lehman with Senior and Disability Action. Um, before I start, how much time do I have? Three. You have three minutes. Okay, wonderful. Um, so um, I wanted to thank Sophie Maxwell and the City Administrator's Office um, for all the work on this, along with Nicole Vaughn and the Mayor's Office on Disability um, and the, the folks with the Department of Technology. Really appreciate all the the time and attention you all have put into this issue. So Senior and Disability Action has been working to have remote comment, remote public comment, stay open and accessible to all. And we fought very hard um, at the Board of Supervisors to make sure that we didn't have a separate process for people with disabilities as a reasonable accommodation. The big thing that I'm sure everyone here understands is that Disabled people, myself included, are tired of always having that separate doorway, that separate pathway, that separate accommodation. And when it's not necessary to separate us, to say disabled people here and everyone else over there, then we shouldn't do it. We should be looking at universal design, a system that works for everyone. And we've had that, right? We have that right now, which is having public comment open and available. Um, as far as requiring people to contact someone ahead of time to ask for a reasonable accommodation, we know that not everyone identifies as disabled or is comfortable <laughs> sharing that publicly. Even if it's not public, you know, it requires people to, to think of themselves that way. And with the stigma around it, we know that not everyone will do that. Also, sadly, the Department of Public Health is an example of where this process can go horribly wrong. At their meeting last week, where they were using this process for the first time, they explained that they had a two-tier system with disabled people on one line and everyone else on the other line. They actually said a two-tier system, which makes everyone feel like, wow, why am I in a lower tier or a higher tier, right? 
And then they said, okay, so we're gonna have all the disabled people speak first. So they did actually publicly identify people. I know that's not necessarily the plan and that could get worked out, but that's just an example of the problem with this system. Obviously that shouldn't be happening. We also need to remember that non-disabled people also have valid reasons to participate remotely. People who have experienced domestic violence, teachers and students, parents with children, so we're all going to be better off if we keep this open and available for everyone. I also want to acknowledge, I know that we have issues with ASL interpreters and needing notice, and it's also not fair to require deaf people to do it ahead of time. So we should continue to work to make sure that interpreters are more readily available at major government meetings. Um, but until we do that, it's not a reason to not have it open. Thank, Thank you. you for coming. And do we have another public comment at this time? There are no other members of the public that would like to make a remote comment at this time. Thank you. I guess Sophie, uh, thank you very much for coming and talking to us. I hope this is a start of our conversation. Please let us Give us some updates once you know, have it. Again, thank you. And thank you for um, Director Vaughn for your, um, for your presentation. Um, at this time, we're going to have a 15 minute break. And after the break, we are going to have a um, general public comment. And again, the council will have 15-minute break. SFGov TV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television. Welcome back from the break. My name is Alex Madrid. I'm one of the co-chair of San Francisco Mayors and Disability Cousin. Um, today is um, March 17, 2023. And before we proceed, I just want to acknowledge Cousin member Anana, which is with us via Webex. Um, and now we are proceeding to item number four um, general public comment. At this time, members of the public may address the council on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the council, which are not on today's meeting agenda. Each member of the public may address the council for up to three minutes, unless the co-chair determines that, in the interest of time, comments may be limited to a shorter time when there are a large number of public comments. With respect to today's item specific discussion items, your opportunity to address the council will be afforded at the conclusion of each discussion item before council discussion begins. <clears throat> A reminder that the Brown Act forbids the council from taking action or discussing any items not appearing <coughs> on the posted agenda, including those <coughs> items raised at public comment. If you would like to if you would like a response from the council, please provide your contact information by email message to mdc at sfgov.org with the subject MDC comment reply request. Or you can call 415-554-6789. Um, so at this time, we will be starting with um, in-person public comment, and you can come up to uh, the podium if you'd like to speak and make a public comment, or you can also fill out a public comment card at any time. Okay. Um. So, no, sorry. One second. Thanks, while well, we're working out the kinks here. So just a reminder that there are comment cards. If you'd like a response from the council, uh, to your public comment and you're in the room, we do recommend if you can to fill out a, a comment card. Otherwise, please feel free to send an email to mdc at sfgov.org if you'd like a response to your comment. Uh, and then with that, we will, uh, we will go with folks that are lined up and then we'll go with folks that have uh, filled out the comment cards as well. Uh, please proceed. All right, so it does look like one member of the public would like to speak. Um, your microphone should be unmuted, and feel free to start whenever you're ready. Okay, my name is Alan Jones, and though I've never been able to walk, I've been in my wheelchair for three years, and I've noticed an uh, issue converting to a wheelchair 
that I think would greatly help uh, will electric wheelchair users of San Francisco. Uh, last November, I had a meeting with uh, the MOD director, Nicole, and her assistant, Debbie, and I discussed public electric wheelchair charging stations. I learned that there were some in other cities. And San Francisco being what it is, I think San Francisco should take the lead when we're talking about EV charging stations for cars and uh, not forget those of us who use electric wheelchairs and the billions of dollars that the Biden administration has allotted for electric vehicles, charging stations, uh, I see this as a reasonable accommodation for those of us in wheelchairs. Now, the problems that I had when I first got mine uh, have been corrected by the expensive batteries that I now use. I don't have this problem for myself now, and I get all over the city. But I know that there are some who, like me, have sweated going home on a low battery. This can be alleviated, and I know that the San Francisco uh, Board of Supervisors is willing to jump on board with this reasonable, reasonable accommodation. I have sent the council a letter via email stating uh, my position on this, and it was requested by the director of the mayor's office on disability uh, that a member of this council put forth a resolution. And I have not heard back, though I think it was maybe two weeks ago that I sent out my letter. I would appreciate it that you answer my letter that has already been sent and um, let me know your feelings on this and if this is something that you could get behind. I appreciate uh, all that you do for those of us who have various disabilities, but I heard that this request that I'm making now was also made two years ago. Thank you for your comment. Are there any public comment at this time? Looks like we have another member of the public lining up. And I have the microphone unmuted and you may begin whenever you're ready. Hello everyone, I'm Lizzie Martinez Pedrosa and I am a San Francisco Recreation and Parks intern. And I wanted to quickly introduce myself and the project I'm working on, which is the Event Access Toolkit. This project focuses on creating a checklist that must be followed by any organization that would like <coughs> to host an event in San Francisco in order to ensure the event is accessible to people with disabilities. This is important because anyone who would like to go to an event should be able to do so without encountering any obstacles. This checklist is filled with resources, easy to use instructions, as well as examples. This project was started and published by a previous intern on the sf.gov website, and my job is to revise 
the website page as well as a checklist in order to ensure that all the information and resources are up to date. Additionally, I will also revise and clarify the public event permit process and further develop event access plan requirements and guidelines. I would love to be able to come back and present to you the final result of this project if possible. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Yes, we would love to see it. Um, are there any public comment at this time? Yes, we do. Good afternoon. My name is Deidre Tannenberg. I'm with the San Francisco Department of the Environment. I'm the Policy and Public Affairs Assistant Coordinator for the department. So I work in, as I work in policy, we center the voices of our communities so that policy can be well represented. So we have, um, so I thought I heard the feedback. Uh, we have an <coughs> upcoming policy that we want to incorporate your feedback, the disability and aging communities feedback. So we're looking forward to hearing from you. And what I want to share briefly, really quickly, is we have a disability and aging focus group starting up for Friday, March 24th from 2 to 3.30, how on WebEx. Is an interpretation will be provided, and we have additional information that will be coming available to you shortly. Also, we, the other second focus group is in early April. How can you find this information? Move it to that information shortly. And please, I highly encourage you to register via Eventbrite so that we can make sure that we have enough people to come in and make sure you request your accommodation needs. I'm still learning what accommodation needs would be, what it would look like on WebEx. This is the first time we're hosting a focus group for this community on WebEx. So your guidance and your input is greatly appreciated. So thank you. Thank you for your comment. Are there any public comment at this time in the room? It doesn't look like anybody else would like to make a public comment in person, so we will move to remote public comments. Uh, and it does look like there's at least one member of the public that would like to comment remotely. Uh, and just a, as a reminder to the public, uh, you can make a remote comment um, through the WebEx portal. Um, you can click on the three horizontal dots icon and then click the raise hand button, uh, and then you will be recognized when it's your turn to speak. You may also use the Q&A feature in the WebEx webinar to make a comment. It should be located at the top part of the video uh, after touching the screen. And if you're joining by phone, you can dial star three to indicate that you would like to make a comment, and you will also be prompted when it's your turn. Um, so control room, if you would allow the first member of the public to unmute and make their comment. Good afternoon. Uh, this is Will Railing, and I am commenting on behalf of Accessible San Francisco. Accessible San Francisco is an unincorporated nonprofit association. I would like today to revisit the issue of the new outdoor dining issues 
uh, the, the, the new outdoor dining areas, which were constructed throughout the city during the COVID-19 emergency. These are often referred to as the parklets, although the city program is actually called shared spaces. As was mentioned already, the local emergency has now officially ended, as did the statewide emergency declaration. Not that that matters, because in no way did any state or local emergency orders justify taking steps which were discriminatory against people with disabilities. And discrimination is exactly what has occurred and what is still occurring, as many of these facilities which were newly constructed still do not provide proper access. The legal context is important. It has now been 50 years since the California legislature uh, first required that all public accommodations be accessible. It's been 40 years since that requirement was implemented in the first California Building Code Accessibility Standards. And it's been over 30 years since the federal ADA was passed. Anything new after these dates had to be accessible. So it's disheartening, disheartening to see hundreds of these new structures throughout the city which are still discriminating. A few have been removed, a few have been fixed. We see them, a parklet which had no access now has a ramp, a parklet that had no accessible tables now has one. But many are, are now being made permanent still without proper accessibility. So we're asking how is this happening, especially when many city staff have been doing their best to get them fixed. Parklet owners are supposed to show that they're now accessible in order to gain approval in the permanent program. So I don't know what's going wrong, why there are still hundreds which still do not comply with building code accessibility or ADA accessibility. It could be that this city is only acting on complaints that are made instead of proactively getting out there inspecting the accessibility on these which are on city property. They're in the public right of way. Um, Maybe, you know, the city has uh, several <laughs> great certified access specialists, and, but they're not available. They're not doing these inspections. And if the city doesn't have the proper uh, expertise available, then it might be time to uh, contract out to have the, the accessibility of these uh, inspected. It's really been long enough at this point, and uh, the progress that is being made is is much too slow. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. How do public comment at this time on Zoom? I sorry on Webex. I don't believe that there's any other members of the public that would like to make a remote comment at this time. So we will close this public comment period. We thank you. We are now going. Forward to um, item number five, culture report. Take place with my report. Yes, I will be reading the co-chair report on behalf of Alex today. Um, so we're going to begin the co-chair report by recognizing the death of Judy Human on March fourth. Judy Human was one of the most important leaders of the disability rights movement of the 20th and 21st centuries. She lived in the San Francisco Bay Area in the 1970s and 80s before she moved to Washington, D.C. She organized the protest and takeover of the federal building just a block away from City Hall 
that resulted in the implementation of some of the first federal civil rights protections for disabled people through Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act, the law that the Americans with Disabilities Act is based on. We have two short video clips of, sorry, one short video clip of Judy that we'd like to show. But I was learning, as my friends were, and people I didn't know around the country, that we had to be our own advocates, that we needed to fight back people's views, that if you had a disability, you needed to be cured, that equality was not part of the equation. And we were learning from the civil rights movement and from the women's rights movement. We were learning from them about their activism and their ability to come together, not only to discuss problems, but to discuss solutions. And what was born is what we call today the disability rights movement. So I'd like to tell you a couple of riddles. How many people do you think it takes to stop traffic on Madison Avenue during rush hour in New York City? Get the guess? How many? Uh, 50. One would be too little. 50 people. And there were no accessible paddy wagons, so they had to just kind of deal with us. <laughs> but let me tell you another riddle. How many people does it take to stop a bus in New York City when they refuse to let you on because you're in a wheelchair? One, that is the right answer. So what you have to do, though, is take your wheelchair <laughs> sidle in the right place right in front of the steps and give it a little push underneath and then their bus can't move <laughs> <laughs> any of you who want to learn how to do that talk to me after this <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> uh, and then the February MDC meeting was a joint meeting with the Disability and Aging Services Commission and focused on the aging and disability affordable housing needs assessment. As a follow-up, the MDC will convene a housing committee to focus on implementation of the recommendations that were included in the report. Um, and then this concludes the co-chair report. Thank you so much for that. I just want to um, reiterate that we are in the process of um, having a self-committee for housing um, aspect, um, assessment for San Francisco. Um, now we are going to item number six, um, information item reports from 
the mayors and disability director van van good afternoon again everybody uh, thank you for those of you who have been here in person it is it is good to be back and it is good to be a hybrid today so i'm going to focus on uh, a few things as always this report will be available uh, online uh, on the uh, main uh, MOD uh, website and also at the MDC uh, website um, at sf.gov backslash MOD and sf.gov backslash MDC. Uh, today is our first uh, in person since February 2020, and it's our first ever hybrid meeting of both in person and virtual folks. Thanks for your patience you, as we work out the kinks that will, may and will arise. And MOD welcomes your feedback, please, on how we might improve the public meeting experience for everyone. So some legislative updates first. So we've already covered as part of the earlier part of this meeting, um, the legislative items related to the end of the emergency order and uh, the uh, legislative item 221008, limiting teleconferencing and remote public comment by meetings of the Board of Supervisors and its committees by uh, Mandelman and then amended by Dorsey. The status of this is that the Mandelman legislation did not pass. However, Supervisor Dorsey introduced an amendment that maintains the hybrid meetings and remote public comment. Um, as, and it'll be reviewed again by April 15th. So please do, I encourage you to stay, um, uh, keep, stay, keep your eyes on that. Um, the Mayor's Office on Disability, as mentioned in the presentation, issued guidance on accessible hybrid public meetings, which are posted on our website under the news section. And concurrently, the city administrator issued guidance that uh, we reviewed earlier in this meeting as well. The next uh, item that I'd like to call to your attention again is the shared spaces um, um, item, which is outdoor dining. As you know, the, um, the legislation did pass. The permanent program is now in effect as of March, and there are legislative amendments to the provisions of the program that are currently in front of Land Use and Transportation Committee that we don't expect would impact the ability to enforce <coughs> disability access violations. However, this council may wish to continue to track the accessibility and enforcement progress of this program. As you know, we had a public comment about this today. Uh, this month, uh, MOD assisted the Shared Spaces Program uh, with updating their accessibility information, which is on their website on Make Your Shared Spaces Accessible. And it also features the Shared Spaces Accessibility Public Service Announcement featuring our current MDC co-chairs. Uh, and it's, it's a great video. Now we just need awareness and making sure that people uh, continue to be doing what they're supposed to be doing regarding maintaining accessibility. The final local legislation that I'd like to 
announce that there's, it's not posted yet, but um, there's a resolution that's been introduced by Supervisor Melgar in recognition of Women's History Month and the passing of activist Judy Human, who we just heard from commemorating the uh, old federal building site uh, of the 1977 uh, sitting in protest by members of the disability community. It's very exciting to potentially get some uh, commemoration here, and this is expected to go to land use. As soon as we have more information about that, we'll be sure to let folks know through our distribution list, uh, which you can join by calling uh, MOD at 415-554-6789, or if you go to our homepage at sf.gov slash MOD, there's a button that you can click on to join our distribution list. With regards to state legislation, I just wanted to, uh, I have continuing items that you can read in the full report. I would like to highlight the new newest items, which, uh, which uh, Sophie Hayward alluded to as part of her presentation around the, uh, the Brown Act and partic uh, potential legislative reform on that matter. I think this council would be interested in uh, tracking that item, so I'm bringing that to your awareness. And in terms of federal legislation, um, in addition to the uh, rulemaking uh, comment periods that uh, I've been, been announcing from the Department of Justice, which full, these full uh, information will be available as of this report. I also wanted to mention that federally this morning, uh, myself and my national colleagues in um, six different cities, including New York, Chicago, Boston, Los Angeles, uh, it's St. Louis, and there's always a danger when you start listing cities, you're gonna forget one. Um, but we met today with representatives from the Department of Transportation and talked about the state of disability access in the airlines and also in the um, ground transportation. And there's definitely interest in continuing uh, conversation and advocacy uh, amongst us. So that is very exciting. And if this council would like to engage on uh, any of that uh, items, please do let me know. Uh, I'm gonna move now to some uh, news and announcements. So we heard from Deidre Tanningberg about the Department of Environment uh, focus group meetings, which are March 24th and April 6th. They're, what the focus groups are going to be entailing are, is legislation related to using reusables in, um, in public and, and making, uh, making sure that these reusables will also be uh, accessible to members of the disability community and uh, older adults. And so I just wanted to highlight that again so it was clear that we really are looking forward to your uh, participation uh, from the public and feedback about how reusables in public uh, spaces and, and dining uh, opportunities impact you. Right? Uh, this council will remember that we've had some successful conversation that uh, resulted in some change related to um, the accessibility and plastic straws uh, several, years, uh, uh, several years ago. I also wanted to announce that um, uh, Golden Gate Park 
a usability wayfinding project is currently underway with some of the San Francisco fellows uh, at which your current clerk, Tess, is one of those amazing fellows. Um, we expect that we'll have some uh, wayfinding uh, solutions in Golden Gate Park to be presented uh, with feedback from the community um, in our, at our April uh, MDC meeting. So we encourage you to uh, look forward to that. And finally, in terms of announcements, I wanted to uh, mention that the second annual Department of Human Resources Citywide Career and Resource Fair will be taking place on Saturday, April 15th, 2023, from 10 to 2 in Civic Center Plaza. We'll put out more information about that again through the Mayor's uh, Office on Disability um, Distribution, but I wanted to mention it here because uh, that will take place before the uh, next MDC meeting. And then uh, just a few more items for consideration. I believe next month you'll be hearing about the um, city and county in San Francisco digital accessibility and inclusion standard. You may also consider for future uh, agenda items, learning about the city's procurement process and how um, uh, accessibility works within that or when improvements might need to be made. And again, I encourage you to continue to look into uh, disability employment updates. Currently, we have citywide uh, data collection efforts pertaining to employees with disabilities uh, underway. There are other employment-related issues, though, related to reasonable accommodation, as we've been talking about today, um, and ASL interpretation, citywide support. And so there, there's a lot that could be discussed there as well, if this council would choose that. And that is where I will end my report for today. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you. Thank you very much, Nicole. Um, no, I am not Alex Madrid. <laughs> I am Sherry Albers. Um, okay, so our next item, number seven, is a discussion item. It is on the safe and accessible passage um, on San Francisco sidewalks. And this is gonna be presented by Lauren Bell, Sam Dodge, and Robert Smutch. I'm sorry if I killed your last name. Um, this is from the Department of Emergency Management. So um, we are ready for your presentation. Am I on? Perfect. Okay, will do. Hi everybody, I'm Lauren Bell. I'm actually representing DEM today. Sam Dodge and Director Smuts uh, had a conflict, so I'm here to represent the whole crew. I wanted to thank the Mayor's Disability Council for having me and to Director Bond and Deputy Director Kaplan for inviting us. I appreciate it. Once again, I'm Lauren. I'm the Street Response Planning Coordinator with DEM, but I also work in extremely close collaboration with a whole range of very dedicated departments that are focused on effective street responses. I do, yes, I wasn't sure, yeah. I sent them, I thought that they were gonna, 
be available. I didn't bring them. I thought they would be here. Thanks for your patience, everybody. Control room, if we could get the slides on the uh, screen, that would be great. Perfect, thank you so much. So what's on the agenda today? The slide includes information on street response teams, or it references street response teams, developing ADA violations and blocked spaces efforts, what number the public should call, to report an ADA or blocked sidewalks concern, who the public can expect to respond to these calls, and how we will hold ourselves accountable to the responses through data tracking and reporting. This slide gives a high-level summary of our street response teams and actually shows a picture of one of our vehicles. MOD requested that I provide a quick overview of street response teams. While these teams are not specifically involved in addressing ADA needs in public spaces, their work certainly with people who are unsheltered or in crisis is a critical part of the city's safety and services response network. There are an array of city and community providers that compose various teams, DEM, the fire department, public health, homelessness and supportive housing, and community partners. Should I pause or are we good? Okay, perfect. Um, when calls and circumstances also involve weapons, violence, or serious threats, we are also grateful for the support of the police department. So broadly, street response teams can be bucketed in two areas, crisis response and planned outreach. So what's the difference between the two? Crisis response is activated through 911. A caller sees a person in acute behavioral health crisis or potentially experiencing an overdose or a person who appears severely underdressed on a freezing cold day or perhaps a person with an open and very concerning wound and that person calls 911. In these situations, a street crisis response team, sometimes called SCRT, that responds to behavioral health and wellness calls, or the street overdose response team, also called SORT, may respond. These teams will address the need, de-escalate a crisis moment, distribute basic supplies, conduct a screening, and when appropriate, um, provide light medical triage in the field. These teams also include tight coordination with the SC SCRT care coordination team or the post-overdose response case management team and, of course, <coughs> shelter services. An important note, when seeing a behavioral health crisis or medical need, the public doesn't need to think, is this a fire or a medical call or a street crisis response call? Just call 911 and share good information and trained dispatchers will send out the best team for the need. 
Planned outreach, on the other hand, is not activated through 911. Planned outreach teams include the Homeless Outreach Team, the Healthy Streets Operations Center, and the Castro Collaborative, to name a few. These efforts deploy teams to different zones or set geographical areas around the city. These teams don't generally take referrals from the public or third-party calls, but their services can be accessed in a couple of ways. If there is a person experiencing homelessness in your neighborhood, the person in need can call the HOT team directly at 628-652-8000 and leave some details such as name, location, and need. The HOT team checks the voicemail regularly, will triage the call, and the HOT staff will get out to meet the person ASAP. The public can also contact 311 to report concerns with conditions around encampments. There are a collection of street responses to meet an array of needs. In summary, street responses broadly include crisis response activated through 911 and planned outreach, which operates in coordination but outside of the 911 system. So let's get to the topic at hand. I'll spend the next few minutes centering the reason I'm here today, San Francisco's responses to ADA violations and blocked areas in public spaces and places. While San Francisco has always been committed to safe and clear accessibility for people of all abilities, the 2020 UC Hastings lawsuit and settlement highlighted the continuing need to balance city responses to the needs of people experiencing homelessness and ADA violations. People involved in the lawsuit were steadfast about not pitting the homeless community against people in the disability community. There are many intersections and the city must be responsive to a diverse array of people. This spirit continues through ongoing strategic conversations. City leaders remain focused on establishing balanced responses. Over the last several months, city leaders, the mayor's office, DEM, 311, the police department, and the city attorney's office have met to discuss ADA violations specifically and how to ensure efficient responses. Conversations focused on public guidance, the best number to call, city responses, and data tracking and reporting. I'm gonna spend the next couple of minutes just summarizing the conversations. City leaders recognize the frustration and inconvenience experienced when a person is trying to get from point A to point B and the passage is blocked. We recognize the need for wheelchair accessibility on sidewalks and public spaces and that a person with a visual impairment will struggle in a unique way when sidewalks are blocked. We recognize the urgency of needing to ensure safe and clear access to a home entrance. We recognize that people, tents, and structures in public spaces may result in blocked sidewalks, areas, and entrances. Our commitment is to efficiently achieve clear passage, a minimum of four feet of passage in public spaces through empathy, respect, and setting clear expectations. Here's our public guidance on what number to call. When a person needs to report an ADA violation a blocked sidewalk or public space, we request that the person call the city's non-emergency number at 
553-0123. This goes to the 911 call center. San Francisco's 911 call center, unlike other cities and counties, centralizes dispatch of an array of services. Depending on the unique details of a call, a dispatcher may request police, medical, fire, or an alternative team, like the ones I mentioned earlier, SCRT, SORT, and a new team that I'm gonna to talk to you about in a minute. Calls to non-emergency will only address the ADA and blocked sidewalk need. Other needs related to encampments must go through 311. But here's an important caveat. If a caller feels unsafe or somehow trapped in the immediate moment, they should call 911 directly. So just a short summary, 911 for immediate safety and access needs and non-emergency for immediate access needs. In any event, the caller reporting an ADA violation or blocked sidewalk should be equipped to provide a range of details. This slide provides some details on how best to communicate ADA violation or blocked sidewalk needs when you call the non-emergency number. Cle clearly state your name and the location of the need. Provide some details on what you are, are observing and be clear if what you are observing is blocking a sidewalk or public space. While we don't expect the public to measure, it would be helpful when applicable to say I believe that the area that is blocked is not allowing for at least four feet of clearance. There is no requirement that a person share details of a disability, but the more details that are shared, the more the 911 operator can understand the urgency. It is okay to call the non-emergency number more than one time. So who will respond to your calls to non-emergency? It may be a new program, the community response team, which I'll talk more about in a second, or the San Francisco Police Department. Again, the operator or dispatcher at the 911 call center will consider the array of provided details and the time of the call. Calls to the non-emergency number will go to either the community response team or the San Francisco Police Department. The goal is to get the most timely response. The community response team will launch in the next month. It is a city-funded and community-led project that will be fully integrated with San Francisco's 911 call center and street response teams. The community response team will provide rapid response to a call of an ADA violation or blocked public space. Their approach will be to engage with people whose, and if this is the, if this is the scenario, whose tents, structures, and belongings are creating a blocked area, explain that the city is invigorating efforts to balance a range of needs, which include a clear need to ensure that all people have clear and safe passage on San Francisco sidewalk and streets. This team will set a clear expectation about what is needed to address the violation. These conversations will also be an opportunity for the community response team to learn more about the needs of people and coordinate with other existing street teams to address and achieve these needs. If the community response team cannot achieve the required clearance, the team will inform the 911 call center. The San Francisco Police Department will be the next response. 
While the community response team will rapidly respond to many of these calls, the police department may be the first response to some of them. They will respond to calls that involve a blocked entrance to a home, calls that involve safety or when people feel trapped in a circumstance, or calls that come in outside of community response team hours. We recognize the complexity of this collective work and that there will be a lot, of, a lot to learn along the way. We are committed to tracking good data and producing informative reports that illuminate where there are successes, progress, challenges, and opportunities for improvement. In this spirit, the Department of Emergency Communications, the division of DEM that operates the 911 call center, is creating a new code for ADA violations or blocked sidewalks. I'm sharing the number. It's the 921 code for informational purposes only. It's not a number that the public needs to reference. By designating a specific code, we will be able to more easily pull data, to segment data by the volume of calls, the location, call dispositions, and this information will become part of a report that DEM creates and shares on a right now to be determined cadence. The mayor's office, city attorney's office, and mayor's office of disability will all receive this report. In summary, we want to use data to understand the impact of the efforts and how we can improve. This concludes my presentation. I am happy to try to answer any questions you might have. Thank you so much. Thank you, Laura. Um, so I miss your um, introduction. Um, now we're going to um, comment from the public comment at this time. Public comment followed by council questions, yes. Okay. Okay, please open the public comment. Yes, so we'll start with any members of the public who are here in, per in person that would like to make a comment on this Agenda item number seven. I don't believe we have any comment cards. I don't see anybody coming up to the podium. So we'll move to remote public comment. Um, and just as a reminder to the public, uh, you can make a remote comment by using the raise hand feature on the WebEx uh, webinar. Or if you're joining by phone, you can dial star three, or you may also use the Q&A feature. So at the moment, we don't have anybody in line that would like to speak. Public comment, is, you can close. All right, then we'll close public comments. <laughs> Uh, right now we're moving to cousin member questions. Um, now we have awkward. Go ahead, awkward. Hi there, this is Ananya Tanabraman, the council. May I ask a question or make a comment? One moment, Ananya. We are going to um, I go to our confess and then 
I'm going to you second. Thank you. Perfect apologies. Thank Con you. Control room, will you put the camera on to Council Member Sasuni, please? Go ahead, Oakwood. Hang on, we need to make sure that we can, uh, inter interpreter, can you uh, see Orchid? Yeah, can you put your camera on, please? I'm just asking her to put her camera on. Okay, better. Thank you so much. Sorry about that. There's just some technical challenges. So first, I want to thank you very much for your presentation. There was a lot of content, a lot of context there. And um, I've seen you working here before and some of the struggles and the barriers that you've went with and um, the tent as well, you know, and some of the challenges and it's tough to find balance, right? And to solve that issue, uh, often people, you know, they can't sleep, you know, and so um, there's, they don't have that opportunity. And being deaf myself, I can't hear the cars passing by either, so um, you know, it's like if you're having to go into a street because of being blocked. You need to go to the microphone. Okay. Yeah, so it's uh, just to add to that interpreting that um, when people are blocked on the street and I'm having to walk into the street, I can't hear because I'm deaf if there's cars driving by. And so that made me realize, you know, like there's, you know, like the different areas and the situations that, that we deal with. So. Um, so we have to go, you know, and walk around there. And that area is really tight too. It's a very small area too. So um, there's busy businesses there. It's quite a busy area. So so maybe some, I was thinking about some, if there's some training that we can do in particular there or, sorry, the interpreter's having a difficult time seeing the client. You know, a lot of people are not paying attention as they're driving. So it's just, you know, food for thought to add. I, I learned a lot about, thank you so much for adding about the 911. I thought they were separate. Um, and I got really confused about what's what. So I learned a lot about that. And so thank you so much. And, so and that, now I'll just pass it to other council members. Thank you. Oh, good. Thank you so much for your comments. Um, I would love to reach back out to the mayor's office on disability to learn a little bit more about the training that might be helpful. And certainly, if we can and we should be able to support, let's do it. Um, the more information we get out to the public, the better. Um, also glad that the 911 information was helpful. I know even in my own group of friends, when I ask them, what do you think happens when you call 911, 
immediately everybody thinks that it is absolutely and inevitably a call to the police department. And while the police are an extremely important part of the 911 call center, they are not the only option available to the public when you call 911. So I'm glad that information was helpful. And then, now we are going to, Ananya. to Ananya, and then we're going to say after that, Ananya, go ahead. Controller, can you let Ananya Benham speak? Hi there, thank you, um, and Orchid, apologies for jumping the gun there. Uh, like the interpreter, it was a bit hard to see you at first. Um, thank you for your comments. Um, thank you uh, for the presentation. This was incredibly helpful and is important work. Um, I'm so glad that it's um, underway. I had two questions um, regarding how we are empowering um, the public and individuals who might benefit from um, everything that you talked about in terms of one, um, just creating awareness uh, and what are all the different ways in which you are disseminating this information to the community. Um, and then second, related to that, as we know, um, you know, disability is really kind of a, a minority group that anyone can join at any time in their lifetime. Um, and so there are times I imagine, um, and I think this was the case for me, um, in my personal experience where I actually didn't even know what constituted an ADA violation. So again, in terms of awareness building, um, I think it would be very empowering to be able to, for example, have a list of common ADA violations so individuals understand what their rights are and um, you know what the availability is for support. So those are the two questions I have. What are we doing in general to create awareness around um, all of these mechanisms? And then two, what are we doing to um, help folks know exactly what they can actually even ask for um, and what the universe of possibilities is. Thank you. Thanks so much for the questions. Um, the question comes at a, a good time. Uh, the Department of Emergency Management is actually working with several uh, city departments, including the Mayor's Office of Disability. Um, on a public awareness campaign specifically around street responses. Um, it started off focused on crisis response. Uh, we've gotten a lot of feedback from city colleagues, community colleagues, and now the public on what the public needs. And um, to the question person's point, I'm sorry I missed your name, um, there's a lot of questions about what services are available. So we are continuing to iterate on this public awareness campaign. Uh, the goals of it are to make it really clear what numbers are the right numbers to call when there's a variety of needs, what some of the expectations are around what happens when a person calls. Um, we have been consulting with Director Bon on this campaign to make sure that the information uh, includes uh, details and information that's responsive to the disability community. And I think there's still plenty of time and a decent amount of work that still needs to be done to make sure that we're providing robust information. So the comment about uh, more clarity on what constitutes an ADA violation, what are common violations, what uh, support is available, um, we can incorporate that into this public awareness campaign and I can follow up with 
Director Bond about that, and we'll keep it moving. Thanks, if, um, if I might just say, we haven't really, I just wanna be fully transparent, we really haven't begun the public awareness campaign yet. This is the right. first public acknowledgement that we've been doing this work over the last months, and so I think that the public awareness campaign is really yet to come, and so we really uh, appreciate and, uh, your feedback from the council and from other members of the public to help us get to the core uh, of this. So if this is something the council would be interested in helping with, we'll definitely take it because we're we're very early in the process. Thank yes. you. Um, next we have Sherry uh, has question. Turn the mic. Go ahead. Hello. Oh, good. I'm here. <laughs> um, thank you, Lauren. Um, this is um, very important to have um, in place. Um, I've encountered some of these ob obstacle situations um, so far, so it's good to know there's going to be a system to help address it. My concern is um, when a person calls 911 and to report the situation. I heard you say they are asked a question about the person who is violating the ADA um, compliance. And I thought I heard you say they are going to be asked, does this person have a disability or can you describe their disability? I don't feel that the public is in a position to make that assessment. Um, and if, if, if the public person is maybe in a panic or they're scared or, or um, in a heightened alarm state, they may overestimate or maybe, you know, um, exaggerate the person's disability, um, at least, I feel most people would, you know, like thinking, oh, this guy's crazy, or I'm just making this up. Um, and so maybe more of a um, response, a heightened response might be sent um, under the normal conditions just running into this person. So that's one concern I have is why are we asking the public to assess someone's disability? I don't feel that's really a fair thing to ask a public person. Number two, what training do the teams that are sent have in addressing someone they run into, they encounter um, if they do have a mental illness, and how are they, um, you know, what what is their tactics or what kind of um, tactile tactics are they going to use when they encounter someone who has a mental illness? They've discerned that it is a person with a mental illness. Is some kind of assessment going to be done? Um, and are these people um, using any force? Uh, I hate to use the word, but what kind of force will be used in any of these situations, if needed? Thank you so much for the questions uh, for both of them especially the first one. I just want to clarify, the comment wasn't a request to the public. 
to determine what the needs are of somebody who might be unsheltered or might be um, out on the street. The comment was more about the caller. If a caller, for example, is in a wheelchair and going down a sidewalk and there is something completely obstructing the sidewalk, that person can call 911, or excuse me, that person can call the non-emergency number and report that uh, the observation that the sidewalk is blocked Ideally, that person might be able to say, I believe that there is uh, not at least four feet of clearance, but it is not required. But in my comment with regard to um, statements about disability is that the caller themselves, that person does not need to say, I have a disability. Just by saying there's a blocked sidewalk or a blocked public space, that is enough to compel the response that we have to go out there and address the blocked public space. If the caller wants to address the disability and say, I'm in a wheelchair, I have somewhere to go, I need to be there in 15 minutes and I cannot get through, that kind of detail is very helpful in assessing the urgency. Okay, thank you, I misunderstood. That's okay, no thank worries. You. I appreciate the question because <laughs> somebody else might have misunderstood too. Thanks. So thank you for asking it. And then the second important question is, how we address the needs of people with mental illness who are in crisis on the street. Mm -hmm. And I would love to at a different time, if it makes sense to the council and the mayor's office of disability, bring folks back to talk more about our street crisis response teams and the um, approaches that are used uh, to help meet the needs. Um, as you can imagine, there's a lot of training that folks go through to ensure that the um, ways that we're addressing somebody. You know, it's a very chaotic moment in some cases when a team arrives on the scene of a street and there's a human being that is in extreme distress. And let's kind of use an extreme example, very acute behavioral health crisis. And it takes a very calm and very talented approach to help that person de-escalate, to help that person be able to share even a little bit about what their needs are in the moment. So the skills are everything from trauma-informed, strength-based approaches to de-escalation training to understanding the social determinants of, of homelessness um, to understanding our systems of care and our shelter system and providing really clear and accurate information to folks at the right time. So a lot goes into it. It's a really talented team that is doing really important work, and I'd love to spend more time on it if it makes sense in the future. Thank you, Lauren. You got it. Um, be um, before I go to staff, I have a couple of questions for you, Lauren. Is that, um, again, sorry if I missed your introduction, but a um, couple of questions. One is that, what is it that the city and your department is doing now to address this? And second is that I work by civic center and this, the, um, I don't know how to say this without, um, like, um, not putting 
dumb, but there's so much um, homeless people doing drugs on the street. It's sidewalk, and it's very scary to call 911 or with non-emergency um, response when you see someone using the drugs and it's dangerous to the caller when they go going to do that and the, um, the response might not be um, peaceable mm -hmm. to them. And so that's one. And the second thing is that right now, as we speak, I noticed that there's so many, I mean, I think some of the days, um, um, name one more officers tend to push homeless people far away from that civic center, the street between seven and eight. But I noticed on Fridays, usually, that tend to be um, more people on the street and what the city is doing now and going forward to address these scary times. Yeah, you hit on so many of the critical points and concerns and complexities. And I am gonna say off the bat, I don't have a perfect answer for you. I know you're not looking for perfect, but um, the balance of addressing the needs of somebody who is experiencing homelessness or using drugs or in mental health distress, along with um, communities of people who are sheltered, communities of people in the disabled community, there's so many different factors to juggle. and. There is, I think there's probably mixed perception of this, but there is a desire to make sure that there is respect and dignity and um, not stigmatizing folks for where they are at. I think we all know that, especially for individuals who are experiencing homelessness, there are a lot of reasons, a myriad range of reasons why somebody has gotten to a point in their life where they're struggling to get out of homelessness. So, I mean, immediate responses to the needs that you see on the street include everything from the street response teams that I mentioned, the street crisis response team, the homeless outreach team. Um, there's other teams I'm sure this council knows of, the ambassador teams. I think the mayor's office has talked quite a bit about ambassador teams of late and ways to train those teams up even differently to address these complex needs uh, even more effectively. Um, we're bringing the new community response team in uh, as another uh, way to connect, learn, compel some change, but it is very complicated. And when there is moments of feeling nervous or scared, um, we do recommend a call 
to the 911 call center, either through 911 or non-emergency. But I think a lot of people share your sentiment. People are nervous to call. I talk to people, my own friends and, and family. People are nervous. They're not going to say the right thing. They don't know if the situation that they're observing is worthy of a 911 or a non-emergency call. And people do a lot of calculus to think about whether or not they should call. And there really isn't a simple answer on that. But we do encourage folks to call. Your point about kind of is there safety? And I, if there's safety after you make the call, would somebody be upset? Would somebody respond in a negative way if you made a call? Um, you know, I think you need to take steps to make sure that you're safe. So maybe call at a distance and report at a distance or get out of the general vicinity if you feel like something could really erupt into, you know, um, a difficult <coughs> and more complex moment. So we're putting services out there. You know, the different departments that you know very well are trying hard to bring new resources online. And, you know, certainly there is a law enforcement and public health and homelessness and DEM response that all has to work together to um, kind of both make the magic and produce a really good strategy. And, you know, we're doing it day by day. And it certainly, as we see on our streets, is imperfect at best. But there is a very deep commitment to it. I know we've all heard it from the mayor's office. It's the highest priority or a very high priority in the mayor's office. And <coughs> we have to just keep digging deep getting learning from what's not working and trying to make changes and use our resources better and respond differently um, so that folks who are unsheltered that their needs are being addressed that somebody who's using drugs that person's needs is being addressed and so on and so forth um, and then when enforcement is needed to integrate really strategic enforcement strategies into the whole picture as well so does it for the second thing that I, I had was right now, like during at this time, you can be, people can go to that street right now from now till tonight. This is going to be people on the street, and I understand that. There's people there to push people away, but like, do you know how come there's only certain days of time and time that people tend to quote unquote push them away? And I notice at Fathers, Thursdays, that people using on the street are blocking the way and there's no response or does the city has to wait when someone had to call non-emergency or can we suggest that having a plan of preventing it happening. That is definitely part of the plan, is the prevention piece of it. Um, I think 
you know, the scale of need right now, I, I think it, it outweighs kind of the resources that are available. So some of the prevention is going to require an expansion of resources that are responsive to the needs. And when our resources are more right-sized to the needs, prevention strategies get more and more effective. And we need to keep working towards that. To your question about what's happening immediately, um, the call when there is kind of a, a blocked area specifically, the calls to non-emergency are part of what compel a next step. But more broadly, um, it's the teams that are continuing to go out and work with people to um, try to, you know, I think we all know relationship building with folks is a very motivational space to try to compel some interdependence and some a bit of trust and um, an opportunity for people to believe that the services that are being provided are really going to be available and are going to be helpful. Um, that takes a little bit of time, so it's not immediate. Uh, when somebody is violating the law and um, there's kind of really clear law violations, then that's sometimes when a enforcement response is going to be most appropriate. So there's different levels, but even with these various responses and the range of resources, we still see this incredible need on the street, and there just isn't um, a perfect answer. Um, I don't know if I'm fully answering your question, but I'm happy to follow up if even an email or something along those lines to continue it, whatever would be helpful. Yeah, thank you. The next question I have, I know that you go touch on this about protection working group in the future. I just want to su strongly suggest having a, a group of us, people with disability and other groups on the table to discuss this issue when that happened. So I just want to say thank you so much for that. Yeah, it's yeah. a pleasure to be here, and I think that's a great suggestion. I yeah. think we should keep working on that. Um, there's certainly spaces where we can improve on that front. Now I go turn into staff questions or comments. Go ahead. I oh, here, Denise, did you have anything to add to the conversation? Oh, I'm sorry, just real quick, just sharing experience. In the past, when I've run into someone that's a crisis, either it's been brought to my attention or it was something that was happening in front of me because of my uh, severe visual acuity. Um, what I did is I told the person that I'm severely visually impaired. I don't feel comfortable coming close. I can't give a really proper assessment. But if you can communicate, and a lot of times they were able to communicate. So when I called 311, I stated my visual acuity because they would prompt and ask me questions, you know, assessment, things that I cannot see. I can answer those questions. But I still wanted to help the individual. So what I did is I just basically relayed the information. Or if I was with someone that was cited, basically gave me as much information without getting close to that person in crisis. So because that's kind of uncomfortable to come across something like that, especially if you have a visual acuity and you're not sure how to assess, but you just don't want to leave that person in crisis. So it, it does help that whoever you call identify that maybe there is an issue and this is as much information as you. And that was helpful to me in the past where I was able to help, but at the same time, you know, I gave an honest assessment. 
um, based on what was being told to me. So that's all. Thank okay. you. Thank you, Denise. Thanks, Alex. Now we're, we're going to staff comment answers. Okay. Hi. <laughs> thank you for coming, Lauren. I just wanted to say thank you. This has been a topic um, that we've known in the city that we needed to really work on this. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we're at a place now where we've really convened some good people to think about this in a different way. And I'm encouraged by the community response teams in particular. And I just want to offer MOD as support for any training that might need to occur there in terms of helping people understand, apologies, understand the disability experience and some of the some of the primary concerns that have definitely been elevated to MOD over the years. So just wanted to publicly offer that support. And, and then certainly to the council, um, if you choose uh, to do any kind of uh, a follow up to this item, I would, I would encourage you and, and uh, because your suggestions will be taken seriously. That is uh, definitely something that um, the, the group that's been working on this has been very opening, very open to involving the mayor's office on disability, people with disabilities, in really helping to now shape this next piece of this, which is the community campaign, because certainly circumstances can't uh, improve in a market way unless we're all kind of working together, right? Which we say all the time, and uh, but in this particular situation, we really need everyone's support and, and thoughts and uh, about how to, uh, you know, best advance. And so certainly, we're happy to be a, a channel for that in the Mayor's Office on Disability. Thank you again for coming. I'm definitely going to take you up on the training. We're working on kind of the onboarding of this new service, so I will reach out to you on that front and look forward to ongoing conversations with the public awareness campaign too. Great. Thank yeah. you, Laura. I hope this is a new um, step for us to work together. Agree. I appreciate being here. Thank you so much. All right. Have a great weekend, everybody. Take Thank care. Thank you. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you as well. Now we are going to item number eight, information item. Information item, correspondence. Are there any correspondence at this time? We're just going to move the microphone around a little bit. We've got a lot of wires on this table that I forgot about in the three years we've been gone. <laughs> one second. Um, thank you. Hang on one second. We can't oh, hear you until your on. microphone is on. Is it on? Now it is. I okay. Think. So the only correspondence that you have received in the last month is from um, the gentleman who provided public comment about electric wheelchair charging. Um, and his comments were um, very much in keeping with the letter that he sent, which you all have received. So that is the extent of the public comment. Thank you. We are going to item number nine, um, the general public comment. 
Yes. So at this time, members of the public may address the council on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the council, which are not on today's meeting agenda. Each member of the public may address the council for up to three minutes, unless the co-chair determines that in the interest of time, comments may be limited to a shorter time when there are a large number of public comments. A reminder that the Brown Act forbids the council from taking action or discussing any items not appearing on the posted agenda, including those items raised at public comment. If you would like a response from, a council, from the council, please provide your contact information by email message to mdc at sfgov.org with the subject uh, MDC meeting. Sorry, I lost my place here. Um, or we also have uh, public comment cards here available if you're joining us in person that you can fill out anytime during the meeting uh, and give to one of the staff members and we will get back to you. Um, so we'll start with any members of the public who are here in person that would like to make a public comment and it does look like there is one person. Uh, yes, go ahead. Thank you. I just wanted to come up once again because I feel, you know, more comfortable um, just signing versus simcoming using ASL English at the same time. My name is Deidre Tanberg, and I'm with the Environmental um, Department of the Environment, and I'm really looking forward to representing the department to include you all. Um, the disability community in a focus group that is coming up on March 24th on Friday and also April 6th, the Thursday. So if you are available, if you can please register on Eventbrite for this event um, and this focus group, we're going to be proposing a policy regarding reusables um, in the dining and restaurant facilities around San Francisco. Mm. And I really want to briefly mention our um, proposal, which is for dining facilities to use reusable cups, um, whether it's large events or a third-party food service vendor. Um, we want them to provide an option to use um, non-disposable um, utensils. And so we have two separate groups, um, and this policy is different than the one from 2020. Um, and we are really excited to get your feedback and your ideas. And we are committed to advancing um, racial and disability justice and inequity in terms of the the areas of the environment and wanting to make sure that is included in our framework and how we are approaching this work. And so I really appreciate for all of you to come next Friday and ASL interpreter will be provided as well um, as any accommodations that you need. If you please let me know in advance, um, just because I am still new to this in leading this effort um, and we will be using the webinar uh, meeting as well. So please let me know if you have any accommodation requests. And yeah, feel free to email me. Uh, my email is D-I-E, 
D-R-E dot T-A-N- T-A-N-E-N-B-U-R-B-E-R-G at sfgov.org. Or you feel free to call me at 415-255-5870. Thank you. Thank you for your comment, and I hope that meeting... Yeah, thank you. Um, are there any public comments at this time? I don't see any other members of the public lined up, and we don't have any other comment cards. And at this time, I don't believe there's anybody on the WebEx webinar that would like to make a public comment. Or one, okay, we do have one person um, that would like to make a remote public comment. Uh, so just as a reminder, if you would like to make a comment remotely, you can do so by using the raise hand feature on the webinar uh, or using the Q&A chat feature. Uh, or you may also dial star three if you're joining by phone. Um, so control room, if you wouldn't mind unmuting the member of the public that would like to make a comment. Oh, good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Richard Rothman, and I don't know if this item was discussed in general comment. I just got home and listening to the end of the meeting but I am concerned about public comment, uh, you know, since the, quote, pandemic ended and different commissions have different uh, criteria. Uh, I think the most of there is MTA that is only going to allow 10 minutes of public comment. And uh, I think this is a disadvantage to seniors and people who live uh, like I do in the outer Richmond, you know, that's harder to get to City Hall. And uh, I talked to the city attorney and probably they have a strict definition of what is a person with a disability. And I wish your office would advocate for a unit. Now I'm on another commission and they don't have any restrictions on you know, people calling in. So I think there should be a uniform policy. And I just find this, uh, you know, people think the pandemic ended, but it did. You know, our friends I know are still getting it. So I hope you can put this on your agenda and ask the mayor's office or the, or the chief, of, chief administrator officer, Carmen Chu to come and have a citywide policy or ask the Board of Supervisors to, now the supervisors are gonna have unlimited public comment. So uh, I hope you would address this uh, issue in future meetings. Uh, I find this really highly discriminatory. discriminatory. Thank you very much for listening to me. Thank you for your comment. Are there any public comment at this time? Uh, there are no other members of the public that would like to make a comment remotely, so we can close public comment at this time. Thank you. And now we are going to item number 10, which is information item 
Council member comments and announcement at this one. I have one comment and announcement, and I just want to acknowledge um, my old past culture, awkward society, for being a culture with like about one, one year or two years. And you've been with the castle for a long time, as same time as me. So I just want to say thank you very much for your time as a culture and, and bring your input. It's very um, appreciated. And I just want to uh, acknowledge the new quarter, which is Cherry Abbas, which the new quarter has um, gone forward. So just want to acknowledge both of you. And um, without other, any other council members, um, has come at this time. Can can we say some more words before we do that? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. Great. Yes. This is Nicole speaking from the Mayor's Office on Disability, and I just wanted to uh, extend my personal appreciation to you, Orchid, for all of the work that you did as as co-chair, and for all that you do and continue to do to increase awareness for people with disabilities and especially the uh, deaf and disabled experience. Thank you, the work that you've, it's, it's a lot of work to be co-chair as as both you and Alex know and it's, you've had, you've been part of many meetings and have had some interaction that has been extremely impactful with the Board of Supervisors and I'm just, I can't thank you enough for your participation and I know you'll continue with us on the council and we're so glad, but I just wanted to say thank you uh, personally for everything that you have done and for your leadership and thank you for continuing to lead on the council and Sherry, welcome to your new role. We are very excited that you are going to be um, leading the Mayor's Disability Council along with Alex and so thank you uh, very much. It's it's the your work is really appreciated and needed. So thank you, thank you to you both. Thank you, Alex, for another job well done as part of uh, our meeting today. I just wanted to also give the floor to uh, Orchid or Sherry if there's anything additional you'd like to say. You don't have to, but you can. Great. Turn on the one second. We're going to get the microphone. Hi, Orchid here. If we can get the camera on me, on Orchid, please. Control room, can you please move the camera can, to Orchid? Can we move the camera to Orchid? Hello? There we go. Awesome. Thank you so much. First of all, I want to say thank you to the staff at MOD with for Debbie. Um, that's the sign name I've given you, so <laughs> thank you so much, uh, Nicole, as well. I'm so happy you're still here working with us all. Um, and I also want to say thank you also to John. 
um, another staff member who's been working so hard behind the scenes coordinating everything. And so it, this would not have been able to happen without them, with all these people and all the staff involved within this department. It, everyone's been so amazing. Also to the council members as well, Alex Madrid, Sherry, Denise, who, who else is on the council? <laughs> Helen Samlowski. Um, we've all been working together. Ananya, yes, correct. Uh -huh, Ananya, um, as well as Dijon. Thank you, Nicole. Dijon. So thank you so much for everybody and all the council members, because without this collective work, um, we would not be able to do access collectively and to make sure that everyone has access. And so, and it's not easy. Um, it's not easy, but to be able to be part of it, we see the problem, we see it, we experience it, and once we see it, we do have to break down those barriers, right? We have to break them down, we have to work around it, and we have to clean up those messes um, to make things more equitable. And I really believe this city is able to do it. We are able to become more equitable, and, and the work here that we've done on the council, I've really appreciated, because I feel like we are making changes, and I think it's been great. Um, I feel like everyone here has been very open to hearing feedback, hearing the different opinions from the community. And the, your, everyone's comments and opinions, I feel like everyone takes them in and thinks about them really thoughtfully and considers them all. And we have really great discussions within the council. And the last three or four years, we've done so much virtual meetings, which has been such a challenge. And today, finally being back in person has been very different. <laughs> um, so really thank you, everybody. Thank you so much for all of your hard work. And I know everyone's still here, and we're going to continue to do this work. And so and we wouldn't be able to do it without each and every one of you. Thank you all, kid. I do, I do. Um. Sherry? We're going to unmute Sherry's microphone now. Hello, I'm here. There we okay. go. Um, I just want to say thank you um, to the council for allowing me to have this prestigious um, position of co-chair. And I have very big shoes to fill um, preceding uh, ORCID. And um, now you tell me there's a lot of work as co-chair, Nicole, <laughs> after I already accept the position. So anyway, I know there's a lot of work to do. So, But um, I accept it wholeheartedly. Um, so thank you so much. I'm looking forward to it. I have a lot to learn. Um, and I would like to also, um, ha I have an announcement, Alex. May I proceed with my announcement? Please, please do. Okay, so I just have an announcement that um, on Monday, uh, March 20th, no, yes, um, at 3.30, um, the Lighthouse for the Blind um, is hosting a um, Zoom webinar discussion with the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency. Um, it is going to be um, facilitated by Christopher Kidd. He is a transportation planner for Complete Streets. Um, and he is seeking feedback on phase one of the um, active communities plan 
and he is um, wanting to know how the the new bike network that they're planning is going to um, affect people with disabilities, and he wants to make sure that um, it's going to be a welcoming um, uh, use of the space for all people um, with disabilities, and he needs our concerns to hear our concerns. So again, it's Monday, March 20th um, on Zoom. You can get the information, the Zoom link by RSVP to me, Sherry Albers, and um, you have to uh, send a request to my email, which is S Albers, S-A-L, B as in boy, E-R-S, at lighthouse-sf.org. And you can go to the Lighthouse um, website and go to the calendar, and you will also see the description and the RSVP information there. So I hope to see you all there. It's um, important information needed by SFMTA. So thank you. Thank you, Sherry. Sherry may I ask a question? Yes. Is, is it specifically for members who identify as blind or have low vision or the entire disability community? The entire disability community is welcome to give your feedback. Thank Wonderful. You, thank, thank you, Nicole, you. for that clarification. So that's, sure. And that's, so that's the 20th. Is this coming Monday this already? This Monday, 3.30. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Great. That's it. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Sherry, for that announcement, and welcome to the Crescent as a question. Um, now we have Denise Sal. Thank you, Kate. Turn on. <laughs> we got it. Go ahead. Oh, do you do it from there, or do you want me to do it from here? You got it. I, got okay. It. Okay. Thank you. Um, I'll be brief. Um, I want to welcome Sherry. I did talk to her. Um, offline and congratulate her and I look forward to working with you in the council and not to frighten you we'll put you through your paces and I want to thank Alex for his continued uh, leadership and I want to thank ORCID as well I learned a lot from ORCID based on her input on the deaf, deaf culture and community and provided a lot of uh, insight and I appreciate that um, as well as your leadership and your leadership and always willing to answer questions and work with council members as we reach out to you so thank you again it was a pleasure working with you and I'm glad you're still going to serve on the council Sherry as I said I look forward and Alex will continue to do what we do we work well together we all do as a good team and I want to thank MOD for their constant help and support so I think I just got it right under the wire <laughs> thank you Thank you. I just wanted to mention, since we're talking about the council structure, uh, the council does have vacancies for anyone who is uh, watching or following us on WebEx right now. If you're interested in the council, please do contact either MOD or MDC, and we can give you some guidance on how that review process works. Uh, I just wanted to mention that. <coughs> Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Director Flynn, are there any burning co comments or announcements? None. Um, I, this is very, I just want to say thank you for the stuff. Um, David, Nicole, John, Test and 
for the interpreters and for the for my fellow um, cousin members. So this is wonderful that we are uh, back in presence. Um, so I just wanna say thank you and uh, um, the next public meeting would be next month after third uh, Friday of the month. So without any objection, I'm gonna call it adjournment.